But I think I do think the presence of the time machine is really the big question here. Because if it's the case that we were able to either purchase the time machine outright or purchase a ride on said time machine, then presumably Crash Dance 2 made an extreme amount of uh, money. So yeah. I also don't know why they would step out and lead with Crash Dance 2 will take you five years. It just seems like a weird, you know, if I was coming back in time, I'd be like, look, we have a time machine. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 278 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I am awake today. I'm Sam and I'm also awake and a human being. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is September Twumbly Beef. Twenty Blundy. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity on this show. Uh, you know, just... that's. That's it. Is That's twumbly beef warning. a profane word? Because it feels like it. It does feel. You twumble beef. It's mm-hmm. on the verge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's either that or just gross. Anything could be a swear when said with the right intent. When I said my name at the top of this podcast, it felt wrong. And for a second, I was like, did I say my I? own name? Who am I? Do you guys <laughs> have it? Sometimes when you're talking to people, even like even sometimes when I'm talking to you guys, if I say your name, there's this part of my brain that's like, was that the right one? Every single fucking time. <laughs> yeah. I just I just don't say people's names almost ever because I don't trust my memory well enough to just know that it'll pull the right name out of the hat, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just Yeah, don't I don't use names. I just assign people instance IDs. Um, no, that's the <laughs> easiest way to do it. But it's easy to confuse those that. too, you know? Yeah, it is. But that's why you got to have a good lookup table. That's why I keep a little notebook in my back pocket. Yeah. You know. What do you use as the key in this lookup table? Well, the key is the instance ID, and then a person is just a collection of properties. You know. So, how, but how do so. you use that to look? So now, if you see a person, then now you see the collection of properties. So your lookup table is useless because you can't look up the key with the table. Well, it's it's a bi-directional lookup. You know. Oh, I so see. I know I know for and I think the hard part is when somebody changes their clothes. You know because. Hey, last time I met this person, they were in a red shirt, yep. and uh, and that was one of their lookup properties, right? And the next time I go look them up, I'm like, they're supposed to have a red shirt. They're I feel gone, like, but I don't know. Now they have a blue shirt. Shit's gone crazy. I don't understand. Uh, also, we would like to thank our recurring supporters over at MoneyGrab.Bscotch.net, and we've got a new supporter, Ooh. Ar- Aragul. Ooh. That's very spooky. Uh, who did not leave a message, but uh, is a recurring monthly supporter. So thank you very much. Thanks. We appreciate that. Excellent. All right, let's talk about life. Let's talk about Sam. Yeah, let's talk who, about me. Okay. Who has a new life rule. Well, so here's the deal. So, you know, yeah, there's, the deal? there's this pandemic on. There's a lot. What? Of, yeah, I don't know if you heard. <laughs> uh, a, lot of, a lot of bad shit, right? So one of my coping mechanisms has been, uh, as we discussed in the podcast, with that discovery of the chocolate dipped in peanut butter phenomenon, okay? Oh, yeah. So I have, but, since discovering this, been eating chocolate with peanut butter every single day. Yeah. Just every single day, okay? And is that the rule? The rule. So here's, but here's what I realized, is that basically three pieces of chocolate plus like dipping them in peanut butter is essentially a little bit over 10% of probably my entire caloric intake for the day. And I just realized, yeah, I was like, I think I want, I think I want to be the case for my life as a whole, that 10% or more, but not too much more, of my caloric intake ever is, is chocolate, chocolate and peanut, peanut butter. butter. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just That also this. means that 10% of you, given enough time, as you exactly. start to place more and more of yourself with the food that you eat for the rest of your life, you just will be 
become 10% peanut butter and chocolate. And yeah, and I I want I think it's going to be a thing. So I'm, but, I'm well, no, no, because 70% of you is water. So 10% of the other part. No, no, no. It's still 10% because 70% of chocolate and peanut butter is also water. Oh my God. So, you know, it just comes out, comes out in the wash. You know, I feel like too, if you meet somebody and they're like, hello, my name is Sam and Mm -hmm. I'm 10% made of chocolate and peanut butter. I'd be like, damn. Mm -hmm. I would say that's a weird intro. It's a weird (laughs) intro, but I'm intrigued and I want to be lifelong friends with this person because I love chocolate and peanut butter. So Sam, when you say three pieces- yeah. And dipped in peanut butter. I assume what you mean is three whole chocolate bars, each slathered I mean, in peanut butter. Absolutely slathered. I wish. I wish I was that egregious in my, uh, in my test. But what I think at that point, is, it'd be like 90%. You know what I mean? That's like a 90% yeah. game. You, you take two, more. Yeah, two Cadbury uh, dairy milks, full, full-size Cadbury, okay? Mm-hmm. And you got to flip them so that the flat sides are, are facing each other. You don't yep. want the bumpy sides. Make a sandwich. Right? Flat sides, yeah. Well, to be fair, if you actually you butter, use the bumpy sides, uh, and you get more peanut, peanut butter in there. Yeah, oh, that's true. That's true. More Sam surface area. Mm-hmm. More surface area. Uh, well, actually, it's less about the surface area than it is about the fact that if you make a sandwich with squishy stuff and then you try to eat it, then the squishy stuff shoots out the, the ass side of the sandwich. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I actually – I've basically stopped eating peanut butter and jelly for Wait, which reason. side of a sandwich is the ass? The ass <laughs> is the side that's not facing you. you. You eat a sandwich, it's face first, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't, eat, you don't eat a sandwich butt first. That's crazy. How would you do that? <laughs> also, it's actually impossible. It's, it's impossible, yeah, because whatever yeah. side you're, you're eating is its head. Well, except unless you've already taken a bite. In which case, the the ass of the sandwich it configure reconfigures right to be the side that you currently bit out of because now you have to turn you know you have to eat a burger you got to spin it. That's true. Nobody going. like nobody bites one side of a burger and then immediately turns around and bites the opposite side. But you that's do. Crazy. But you do often you know turn it a little bit. Which I wonder yes, if that I wonder if the, our motivation for that is that we realize the moment we take a bite that now there's a butt looking yeah, us straight gotta, in the mouth gotta, and we're like let's just turn this a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just. I can't be eating a burger butt first. I'll eat its shoulder. I can handle that. Yeah, yeah or even right next, even butt adjacent is fine. But you don't. Yeah, you don't eat go its right hip. The butt. Yeah, you butt, butt adjacent right. is just a thigh. That's you know that's good. That's tasty meat. Yeah, that's eat fine. that burger thigh. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, so that's what we're all talking about. <laughs> oh, just about uh, just eat lots of chocolate. Yeah. I think is eat the lots of chocolate and peanut butter. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of what kind of chocolate are you eating? Uh, got some. Just ordered like a. You could buy these like packs of the lint chocolate bars. The lint. What dark proportion are you? I think it's like, like cocoa. Seventy-six percent. It's not. Okay. It's not like turbo dark, but it's it's dark it's enough dark to not just be sugar. Because I want yeah. it to be chocolate. You know. I think yeah, because I think if it's if you're going like the the milk chocolate route, I think you do have to minimize chocolate. how much you're eating. Mm-hmm. You know. But if you're going like a dark chocolate route, because basically you're basically eating coffee at that point. You know, like right. cocoa. Like cocoa and chocolate, like the the real, like the original physical forms, basically the same thing. There's no it's nutritional value in either of those. Just a bunch of caffeine and like other things. Um, so the more that you and, have in your chocolate bar, the more chocolate bars you can eat. That's true. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I, the more expensive they are. But now I can't remember know. if it's actually milk or dark, and I'm concerned that I've been eating too much all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, oh, if no. you're still alive, then you weren't eating too this much. This thing, I'm doing great. You know, I'm doing. Yeah. Is that the is that the benchmark? That's the benchmark. I'm currently alive, so I can't possibly have been eating too much chocolate and peanut if butter. If you're still alive and you don't feel bad, then you are not eating too much chocolate and peanut butter. 
I like this rule. You can basically, you can eat to the point where you just start to feel sick or dead and then back off a tiny bit. <laughs> unless you died, in which case I feel it's it a touch late. dead, you know? Yeah, just, just a little yeah, dead. You, and then just back it too off. Far. Yeah, and this is yeah. The, the only way to find out how much you can eat is just to just eat as much as you can and then just evaluate how dead you feel. The mm-hmm. moment you start to feel a little dead, just walk back. I will There's say, since, since uh, being trapped indoors for COVID, uh, the amount of times that I've eaten to the point where I feel sick has actually reduced to almost zero. Whereas before, yeah, that's, we that's got a to kind of a restaurant thing. Yeah, yeah, we got to restaurants. You, I want to eat the whole plate. You know, I, I want to take it home. Whatever. I paid twenty dollars for this pile of yep. of chips mm-hmm. or whatever. So, I'm going to eat all these chips. I think I, you know, I'm I'm not eating as much as I used to, which I think why this whole chocolate peanut butter thing is totally fine. It's fine, you guys. Don't worry about it. It's fine. The thing is, don't again, worry about it. if you feel fine. You don't have to justify. I just want to if be If you feel fine, you are fine. You know how occasionally they interview someone who's like 100 and they're like, how did you do it? And they're like, I smoked three packs a day and ate seven bars of chocolate a week. And it's like. It's always like, but it's always a little bit because it's a daily thing, but it's always a small amount. They're always like, I had a shot of whiskey every day uh-huh. and, and a glass of wine and one cigarette and one chocolate bar. Like they did, they mm-hmm. did every vice. They took each one and then just did a little bit of it, but every day. Every single day. Mm-hmm. And that's because, you know, the real killer is stress. That's true. You know I mean? 100%. And this, this person was like, I'm just going to treat myself to a nice cold cigarette <laughs> 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 every day. Just one, just one, mm. just that's my treat. Well, there, have- yeah, there is an interesting, because it, it is true that stress is like incredibly bad for your, for your mm-hmm. body and your, and your health. Right. And so there is that interesting push and pull between a thing that reduces stress, but is also poison. Versus mm-hmm. the stressor itself. And and in the end, like all these things like have such a slow, cumulative, and and highly variable effect that the answer of whether like is it worse to is it worse to to never have chocolate and be slightly less happy your whole life as a consequence, or have chocolate every day and be slightly more happy. Like nobody is like I was even looking up I, I I've been having a, a cocktail most evenings after work because it's just a nice way to wind down the day. Mm-hmm. I just have one, but then I was like, is one cocktail a day too many, you know? Because like yeah. we, we grew up being taught like booze will kill you, cigarettes will kill you, everything will kill you. And of course, cigarettes will kill you, but probably what will one a day kill you? Like where's where's the limit where actually you start to see clinical effects, right? Mm-hmm. So, where your body can't recover from. Yeah, where your body can't yeah. recover and where like where the fact that you enjoy that as part of your daily routine becomes offset by the fact that that routine is putting poison in you. your body, right? Because <laughs> so, it totally is. Yeah, so, so I, was, I was Googling around like looking for looking for studies on it. And to this day, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody it knows. probably varies by person. That's the problem. Right? Well, it's, the it's, yeah, it's, it's so hugely variable. And I think it's, it's one of those interesting things that the diversity of the human health experience is actually so wide that the, to me, the big takeaway from all, all of that was basically unless, cause it is, it is universally the case. If you smoke a bunch and drink or, and or drink a bunch, right. Then like those definitely, but the question of like what a bunch means is super, mm-hmm. super unclear. And so, and the studies are all very fuzzy because it's also very hard to study. But, and so either, depending on who, depending on the studies that you look at, which are both the, the two like major studies that I could find were both enormous and actually looked at basically the same data sets. And one said that basically it looks like there's a heart health um, positive effect of having up to one to two drinks per day. Hmm. But like. a negative cancer effect, as in like it, you're more likely also, to get cancer, but you have you're more likely to, to or you're less likely to have a heart attack, which is interesting. And then the other study, 
Yeah, the other study found the same thing, but they said that the 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 trade off was not worth it, right? Mm, As in, mm-hmm. like you you do protect Far yourself, but but the the risk is actually still greater for you in the end of an or of a premature death. Um, but it was by like it was by like fifteen percent or something of specifically a premature death, which is actually all causes, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. So I was looking at that and I was like, in other words. It's probably fine. Was <laughs> kind of my takeaway. Yeah, like, who the hell knows? Yeah, if we can't what? see an effect, it's probably fine. What's really more important though is that, is that you're one not overdoing it, and then two that you're if you if you're sleeping, if you sleep every fucking day, like just sleep effectively and do like a bit of exercise and keep track of your mental health, like keep your stress down, like that's your those are your three big hitters as far as like how all this stuff will protect. Yeah, and you know, everything okay. in moderation, you know. But the here's question a, of here's a what the hell is moderation is. Three pieces of chocolate and some peanut butter a day, man. That's what it is. You know what I'm saying? So you guys know how people who are total douchebags. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Total, I'm with you. Total, total assholes. I've heard of a few of those. They seem to live a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they just, they're just always around. It's probably because they I aren't think, stressed because they're the things well, causing everybody else stress. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I was going to say. It, it, they may actually be stressed, but they're just suppressing everybody else's life expectancy even more. By creating right, a lot yeah. more stress uh, around themselves. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's actually true because so you only – right, because the amount of stress that you create for yourself in total is just like you're – and if, of course, if you're an asshole, you're usually really self-absorbed. So probably your only stresses are, are your self-induced ones because you just don't give a shit about right. everybody else, right? <laughs> right? But if you are a person who isn't an asshole, then everybody who is, all of them, cause you You still stress. got your normal baseline stress. Yeah. Other mm-hmm. people are dumping stress onto you. So then the people who end up living to be like 100, 110, 120, they just don't give a fuck. Right. Yep. Which like could, they're not they're not on either side of this equation. They're not an asshole and they're not surrounded by assholes. They're just hanging out, eating a pound of chocolate a day, mm-hmm. not, <laughs> not giving a fuck. <laughs> uh-huh. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. Uh, all right, let's talk about studio news. Specifically, we are living in the midst of a waking nightmare called search engine optimization. Let's yeah. talk about it. Yeah, what is a nightmare Adam? of my own making? And I'm, I'm gonna. I still think this is interesting at a. At a high technical level, so I'm going to try to talk about it without yeah, getting. Don't into touch that dial. Okay, so we're going to yeah, we're, we're gonna gonna keep going deep. But I still think it's this is this is search engine optimization explained like I'm seven edition. Yes, or maybe maybe like fifteen because I think our our it's listeners like are 15. not seven. I don't think on average. But who listen, knows? you fucking seven year old. <laughs> <laughs> Learn about SEO, you asshole. Um, all right, so, uh, so, <laughs> so SEO. Really got a, really got a, uh, unexplainably aggressive there. Yeah, we're feeling very saucy today. You know? Very saucy right. morning. Um, Let's go. And, and children, <laughs> you're, you're not assholes probably, so I apologize for uh, Some of them might be. Yeah, a, little, little, might. a little bit. Uh, so so search, engine, search engine optimization. This is the question of, I got a website. It's on the internet. How, when somebody types in it's a, a search request into Google or Bing, I guess, is, that's a thing that people use. Um, sure. How... How does my how does my question my the words I poked into that box how does that cause Google or whatever to come up and say oh here here this is the that website you made you know the, like this person over here that's the thing that gets shown because of course there's what a hundred trillion trillion websites or something and so if so how do you convert if if you go searching for like I want to buy some pants and so you say buy pants or whatever mm-hmm. into your search bar right how does how does Google know what to serve you. So this is what search engine optimization is. Is basically everybody playing these tricks trying to figure out what is what does the search engine do so that I can make my website be the thing that sells you the pants. Because everybody knows right. that once you go past page – actually, once you go past the three top things, then no one gives a shit. So if yeah. you're not there, you're nowhere, right? And the reason, the sole reason that Google is like 
what the second most valuable company on the planet or whatever, and like far ahead of almost all governments also, is because of how good of a job they did at serving you the right pants website, right? Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. whole thing. And they're selling you ads on top of it. So so how you how you get that to happen is now this like mostly black with your, box. With your own with website. your own website. Yeah. So like yeah. so now you've got a website and you're trying to appear in in your listing, right? So there's now this this sort of this sort of dark magic process where nobody knows the nobody really knows how things work and Google won't tell you, but they'll just hint at things that they'll say things like, Oh, these things are definitely important, but they won't say what does that mean? How exactly do you do it? How important is it? And of course, it's all changing over time because Google at the same time is trying to prevent all those all those assholes out there who are selling you fake pants from showing up at the top of the listing, right? They don't care, of course, if they're serving you up conspiracy websites. I assume that, fake pants are pants that, that uh, pants that like only cover the front half of your legs and are just completely open in the back. Those are chaps, I think. So those are still real okay. pants. So that's still fine. <laughs> More like, more like you you go to buy pants and what you get what you get in the mail instead is like a sheet of paper that has the word pants on it. Or, or it's like those it's like those ones where people buy something off eBay for like two thousand dollars. I saw what was from bought a, a they're buying a, a new Mac off eBay for two thousand dollars, and then the thing that they got was what was in the picture, uh, but it was actually this big. It was like the size. It was like a couple inches wide, you know. So they had basically made yep. a tiny little fake. A laptop <laughs> sold it as if it was real. So that sort of shit, right? That's what you're dealing with. Yep, exactly. So, so, okay. So now your goal, you make a website and you're like, okay, I want to make it so that when people type in the thing that is important to, to me, like, so, so let's say, let's say you make video games and you're like, I want it to be the case that when somebody types in super fun crafting game into Google, that Crashlands comes up, right? Like that's your goal. So, so that's the end goal of, of SEO. The reality of you being able to get there depends on how many competitors you have, how much, you guess correctly about how the search engines work, et cetera. How much time you invest into building your site to, to then match all those things. So now if we, if we turn back our own clock th- three years ago, whenever I, whenever I first put up our new website, um, I had made a few assumptions about how things worked, um, which I discovered two weeks ago were one in particular was very incorrect to, to, the, to the point where we basically have uh, if, if there, I don't, I'm not sure what the scoring is for SEO, but if there's a zero, then that's basically what. <laughs> so, uh, now the the one the one saving grace in this, of course, is that our our games are on these different storefronts that have excellent SEO. So yeah. so it doesn't really matter, probably. Right. But it also might. And so so I should have known this because there have been various points over the past couple of years um, where I have been like, "Ooh, what was that? What was that blog post we wrote about? Whatever, right?" Because I wanted to use it as a reference for something. And then because our own website doesn't have a search function for our blog, I can't get to it there, right? And so, but the reason I didn't ever put one in there was because I was like, I don't need to add a search to our own website because that's what Google's Google for. Right? So then I would search Google using like Butterscotch shenanigans, which is very SEO optimized because nothing else has that combination mm-hmm. of words in it. And then, you know, some snippets from the title of the, of the article that I could remember and I remembered accurately and just nothing came up, just nothing, right? So- so I should have, when that happened, noticed that this Nothing shouldn't be possible. Well. This yeah. should not be possible, right? Uh, and for some reason, just didn't, didn't, didn't quite register. Well, we had some other things going on. We had on. other stuff going on, to be mm-hmm. fair. And again, like it just doesn't matter that much, probably. So, uh, But more, more recently, we've been, because like we talked about the last episode, like I've been wanting to, to write more stuff about the, the technical things that we're doing on the website and, and uh, and we've been talking about more blog posts that we want to put together and you know share with different outlets and stuff, but also host on our own website. 
Uh, and the idea that we would make one of those and put all the time into it and then just – it's just gone. Have it be completely unfindable. Yeah, it's just not findable uh, is a huge bummer. And then, of course, now we're working on Crashlands 2. And so people aren't going to be covering it that much. But we'll probably start writing blog posts about it soon. Yeah, uh, so people search for Crashlands 2 and just find own nothing. posts about it don't yeah. show up. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. So – so I so I finally decided I had to go fix this, and I've been I've been now for the past really actually over the past few days in terms of like full time work, um, getting it squared away. And I thought like I knew I knew what I had to do, and I won't go into the details of what I had to do, but I knew what I had to do. And so I was like, okay, I'll just go, I'll just go take care of this. It'll be fine. I'll and just then, go do it. Then there was like this cascading series of complications, and then also traps that my past self had laid for me that made it so hard <laughs> to actually do. Uh, and it's just been. It's been remarkable going back because this was code that I because I knew SEO was important, and so I had done what I thought I was like necessary to make it happen. I was yeah, you actually you were actually right? purposely solving this problem two years, yeah, like two or three two years, years right? ago. Yeah, but I just did it and like because I didn't really understand at the time what was actually happening clearly. Uh, <laughs> but but as importantly, I also was a much much worse programmer, and so and so because I was like I had basically been doing Node, um, the 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 language that we use on our on our server side stuff for like three months at that point, mm-hmm. right? And so I barely knew the language I was using. I didn't really understand the problem. And so I just came up with something. And, and the thing that I came up with, <laughs> badly programmed it. And the thing that I came up with was absurd because there was a problem at the time, which is for every page that you have, you still ha- you have to do something. You have to do something so that, that when that page gets served up to Google specifically, that Google's like, ooh, I can read this. I know it's here. I can process this and do stuff to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... The way that I had gone about, because I was like, oh, the problem here is that we're making tons of content all the time, right? And so it's and a lot of it's dynamic because we make a blog post, then the server doesn't know about that before the blog post is made because it doesn't exist yet. So my solution to this, and, all, and also things like we have a whole bunch of help pages and we add, add, add some more every once in a while and so on. Uh, and some of those things are made only on the, the, the code that gets delivered to you. So the server actually doesn't know about it, right? So my solution was like, okay, so if the server doesn't know about it necessarily – then instead of me just being like, maybe I'll just tell the server about it. Like I'll just like find a way to have those things line mm-hmm. up, right? I was like, I know what I'll do. Be anytime, be anytime an administrator, like one of us on the team, right, is browsing, then every time we hit a page, the page itself will collect its own information and send that to the server and be like, hey, make sure you know about me, that I exist. Right. Because you right. know how common we as administrators just casually stroll through random pages just on the browsing website. The website. <laughs> just browse our own website. You know how you know how we do you know that, how we does do that a hobby. Right? It's that would mean that if that if uh and, and of course this is you know, I guess of course it's not the right way to say that. Uh, we also have three different deployments of the website. We've got the dev server, which only we see. It has its own database, its own data, right? And then we have beta and production. We spend most of our time on the dev server. So if we're perusing stuff on the dev server, that mm. doesn't inform the other one that that those things right. exist. It's a totally different set of data. Yeah. So what yeah. we end up with in the end is basically an, a completely – I guess we're completely unaware actually then of what pages on our own website are actually being tracked, that the server knows exist, and that when Google asks for those things, it actually it can even give it any information at so all. Our website's more or less invisible. It's basically invisible, and I, I, and I knew that the, I knew that there were some things that were not optimal. I've known this the whole time, but I didn't I didn't realize just how bad it was because there was a key assumption that I was making, which I think I'll just say because it's I think it's not too in the weeds, which is that when Google fetches a page, that page is going to have some JavaScript in it, probably, right? 
And the thing that I that I had read and I knew was true was that Google runs the JavaScript when it downloads the page. Okay. Right. So if that's true, then if the page's content itself is created by that JavaScript, then I was like, well, then Google has stuff will get created. Google has it. And so now it's all going to be there. That's fine. So this is that's all true, except if what that JavaScript is doing is downloading data to display. Because Google doesn't wait. Uh, it doesn't wait it just, for it stuff just to come in. It runs whatever's already there. Yeah. So if you have JavaScript that's plugged into your site, like that'll run. If that re-renders a page and changes stuff, that'll all happen. Google gets that. But if you then say like, ooh, I need to go get this piece of data, say a blog post. or mm. And actually, and over time, I've moved more and more and more of the data on the website into the server. Right. right to so the, you've actually to made the, the, downloading you've made the website more invisible over the yeah, last couple over time. Of and so the, <laughs> I think the reason that we were able to get away with it was because – at the beginning, most stuff was created on the site itself uh, in synchronously so that Google could just create it and it was fine. And over time, this become less and less true. Mm. And so, and, I, and it all came to a head when I just, I, I read a line somewhere because I was doing some, some research uh, for my own personal projects. And I saw a line somewhere that somebody mentioned that Google doesn't wait for stuff to come back. And I was like, huh. I was like, wait, fuck. And so I went, <laughs> Google has a, they have a panel. If you, if you own a domain, you can set up a, which is actually a nice tip. I can't what it's called, but if you just look up like Google Search Console, you'll find it. But you can actually like register your domain, and then it'll show you like oh, it'll show you like here's what Google sees when I visit this page, and here's all the mm. list of errors and so on. And so I went and I loaded it up, and I and I told it to render the front page for me, so I could see like what does Google see. And it's just a fucking white document. There, there's, nothing <laughs> like, there's nothing in it. And so, oh, no. and I was like, oh no. So so I was like, oh, I'll no. look at the HTML that it sees, and it's just the it's just the the template page the server sends before anything else happens. And that was it. And so it was horrifying. Like, Fuck. So what I'm imagining is like there's a scene. There's a it's a scene in a movie. Adam, the tech savvy hacker guy with like a cool mohawk or something because you know hacker mm-hmm. sits down at his computer. He's got his cup of coffee. He's blasting some German techno music, getting ready to do his programming. He's pulling up different documents, looking at like how does Google do shit, whatever. And all of a sudden, the music stops, and he zooms in on this one line. And then, like, and then you see the coffee cup hit the ground. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. it's about right. Though. I mean, I think that so we've had this actually. We've been working on the uh, the Crashlands 2 art uh, and getting that stuff figured out. And there's an, there's an interesting parallel here because um, – so I've been I've been pushing really hard on this idea of uh, – that I, that I sort of picked up on as well in a similar sort of fashion of saying, oh, shit, uh, from all of these art videos and these art tutorials and stuff I've been doing. Of this idea that in art, your values are more important than your colors. And so value is just the relative amount brightness. of brightness. Basically. How dark or how light things. And uh, the reason that that's important is because that's that's what allows you to actually make out uh, different shapes, actually. And so an image with good value contrast uh, it just looks better than one that, that has, does not and allows for higher readability. So importantly, uh, as I've been starting a work on these sort of uh, – these pre-production – tiles and backgrounds and stuff for the game. My entire theory about this, kind of like what I was talking about, has been with this sort of, you know, I got this, I got, I know how this works. Like values are super important. And so what I, what I, what I did, because I'm clever, was sort of graded out where the content was going to sit. So players and creatures and stuff like that have a higher total value range than things like the terrain, blah, blah, blah. And what ended up happening though, because of this, uh, was that this first round of, of art that we got in, the ground looked the same. Like an incomprehensible darkish blob. Mm-hmm. As you purplish Because it wasn't important, so you put it all on the lower end of the, 
Exactly. And so I wasn't I wasn't making a cool picture out of the ground, which, by the way, is most of the screen at all times. Right. And so uh, and I think this has actually been the issue I've had with environment stuff the whole time. I've never been able to I haven't ever been able to quite grapple it. And yeah, then, it's a it's a sameness, right? But yes. but in a way that's really hard to understand as being a sameness, right? It's sort of like we talked in the past about procedural generation, right? Where everything is different, like every scene you see is yep. different, but in a way that actually looks the same. It's the same. Yeah, it like doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so it's the same sort of thing where it's like you you take this little bit of knowledge you have, and you're like, okay, yeah, I know how this works. Yeah, you, you make a few assumptions. And, yep. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, and then you, you go to see if it passes muster and of course it fails. The benefit, of course, on the on the art side is that people can look at it and be like, I'm just something's not really feeling good about this. Mm-hmm. On the coding side or writing, like a lot of the other uh, programming or other domains of of, uh, uh, of these of these disciplines are completely opaque. Like you said, it took It'd be a little harder to spot. Yeah. How how hard would it be to figure out if the SEO is working? Um, if you didn't know the you tools. Have to, yeah, you have to you have to know what tools to use to discover it or know like what things you should be looking at. And then of course, I mean, one of the core problems with testing is, uh, is, is it regression? Is that the word I'm looking for? It's a reversion, whichever one it is, but it's, it's when a thing works now, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't have a proper test for it. And over time, because you've changed things over here, changed stuff over there, the world around you has changed. So like Google changes how it does SEO, for example. Um, so things are changing around you. And so even though that thing worked when you made it, it doesn't necessarily work now. And if you don't have a system in place that will alert you the moment that thing stops working, then you're toast. That's very interesting, Adam. Good stuff. <laughs> uh, let's <laughs> Was it? So just, just on the off chance that that was a really bad transition and everyone's confused, uh, my internet it, it did was. go out. I finished a thought, but nobody can remember what that thought was. So it's probably fine. Yeah, but it was very interesting. And, was. I, and I'm going to hear about it when I re-listen to the episode uh, yeah. you know, later. Yeah. So, uh I also want to, before we get on to questions, just want to hit on uh, the Indyland event. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Last Sunday, uh, Levelhead was the kickoff game for the Indyland event, uh, which we'd sent to Ballyhoo out about. And um, it was a ton of fun. So what that event was, is uh, we talked about in the podcast previously, but it's this charity event run by the completionist that goes, uh, raises money for dementia research. And during our time on stream, I think we, I think they ended up raising like $2,500 or something like that. Pretty awesome. Um, but what was very fun about it was we got, but it was both the completionist and, uh, Grant Pooh Bear and Grant Pooh Bear is, is both these guys are actually really incredibly talented platforming, uh, gamers essentially. And Grant Pooh Bear in particular is a, what you call like a, like speedrunner or a Kaizo, uh, playing Mario maker, like influencer. And what a Kaizo is for people who aren't familiar uh, with this term is essentially just Hard as fuck is you put that in there. I guess what it is. Hard as fuck yeah. uh, platforming levels. Well, yeah, it often requires a uh, very specific series of incredibly high speed movements and perfectly timed events that are perfectly timed. Yeah. To if you, if you mess one level. thing up, you're just dead. Or even if you're not, you've permanently broken your ability to win later on. Yeah, at some point. Yeah, and so uh, it was really, it was really, really fun to uh, see both of these these guys take this thing on because the first hour. Uh, was actually um, Grant Pooh Bear playing through levels. And the first level we hit him with was uh, made by Flow Art, who's uh, one of our uh, excellent creators of the community. And it was it's just a Kaizo level, and which is hilarious because as far as like choosing where to start uh, on these playlists, like we had given them 30 levels uh, and I think they had, they had downloaded them, I think before we like reordered them. And yeah. so they just, mm. they already had them in sort of what was this sort of like our just kind of collected order at first. 
Uh, and so I saw this level pop up and I was like, oh, no. Like, oh, shit. Because it has a point <laughs> – it had like a 0.4% clear rate or something yeah, like that. And he just – he just, he just did it. Fucking did it. And it was amazing. So fun to watch. And it was also his first time playing level hit. Yeah. It was his first 15 he, minutes. He booted up and like yeah. played through like five minutes of the tutorial stuff. Um, so the guy's got such built-in just, you know, essentially platforming skill. Uh, there was tons of fun to watch uh, him run through levels. And then him and the completionist did co-op levels for the last hour, which was hysterical. Uh, especially they ended on this level that Specchio had made. I believe this was ages ago. It was one of the earliest uh, – two-player co-op levels that we had and amounted to, I think they ended up spending like 25 minutes just on this, the last section of this thing, which involves uh, in a teamwork fashion, you and your partner are basically in two separate tunnels that are connected by these holes in the floor that are of course covered with spikes. And so you could, you could throw things between the tunnels uh, through these spike floors. And so you have to be passing objects back and forth constantly while avoiding spikes and all sorts of other stuff. And watching them uh, work their way through that was absolutely hysterical. And they had <laughs> they had some really absolutely wonderful things to say about the game. It was it was it was just a blast to see. And uh, I will say one of the one of the nicest things I think I've ever heard someone say about our designs came from two of them. Were about halfway through, you know, we told them about how the marketing department works and how we you know, really try to solve a lot of these problems that are present in games like Mario Maker. And there was just this pause, and then and then they were like, "Thank you." And I was like, for, for what? They're like, <laughs> they're like, you guys, he's like, it sounds like you literally thought about every single thing about this and made it really good. And we were like, that was the goal. That was yeah. the goal, yeah. <laughs> um, but honestly, like, it's, it's, it's weird because you, like, Levelhead still has like a 97% rating on Steam, right? So, like, it's not, the, I know that the game is really good, but it's a, it's a different thing to hear it in particular terms from people who are, uh, whose job is to play games exactly, and exactly. what's good yeah. and so on. Well, it reminds me of when we when we got the uh, the game of the year from from Touch Arcade. Yeah. And uh, that, that sort of like hit me on an emotional level because all these guys do is play games yeah. and review them. And like a dozen yeah. a week or something like that or more even. Yeah, more. E- each, you know. Uh, yeah, so so these these folks go through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of games over the course of a year. Um, and then at the end of the year to, to pick ours out and be like, this is the one, you know. And especially for us, because Crashlands came out in January, right? So they had, remember, <laughs> yeah. they had to remember that like, Crashlands had to stay top of mind for an entire year. of other, And if you like think back to the games that you've played, uh, like... What did you play in January? Yeah, those, those, those <laughs> actually are so hard to pick out, really, right? Because you'll have... And actually, really what that is exercise in, in having the same experience, right? Where if you think back, like, what's the last game you remember playing, Right. It isn't even necessarily the last game you played. It, it may be something you played three years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. right? But like, if you just think the first game that comes to your mind, right? Which is basically what Crashlands was in that context. So that was very spectacular. Yeah, yeah it's really it's, nice. It's good. To, yeah, it's good to hear positive things from people whose life is very deeply connected to mm-hmm. this this kind of a game or just games in general. Um, and this very kind of like unbiased, just like yeah, it's this just is good. just very. This is just really good. Yeah. Uh, so that was super great to see. Uh, all right, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Highest voted question comes from a street sign. Oh. <laughs> Does it just say stop? Mm. Uh, no, it's a bit longer than that. So I'm not sure how big this <laughs> sign is. It might be one of those ones. It's like a scrolling, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, scrolling yeah. marquee L- LCD thing. Why is Roid Rage so dang difficult compared to the other titles? 
What are your own personal high scores in it? And most importantly, does juice naturally occur in space or did a juice tanker spill it in transit? Uh, so this just kind of comes back to our conversation we had quite a while ago about how you may as well not have a store description in your game mm-hmm. because the description of Roid Rage in the stores actually just answers these questions. <laughs> <laughs> that it was, in fact, a juice tanker. Yeah, I uh, guess. Spilled, spilled its juice in an asteroid field. Um, and uh, they've they've got an infinite supply of unpaid interns and in cheap spaceships that d- explode at the slightest touch uh, to go out and retrieve all this juice that got spilled. That's the uh, that's the canon mm-hmm. lore. And the reason it's so hard is because there's two ways to make games last a long time, right? So one is to put a lot of content in there. The other is to make it super fucking hard. You may not have noticed. We didn't do the first one. Yeah, yeah. with Roid Rage. Yeah, the only content in there is your spaceship, <laughs> asteroids, and juice. Yeah, so, so that's it. You know, it's, uh, that's it. The fact that you can play that game for like eight hours, which is actually how long ago, quite a few people do you end up playing it? Same thing with Flop Rocket. Like, there's not a lot in it's Just It's about how long it took us to make the game. So yeah, mm-hmm. it tracks. It's because it's hard. Mm-hmm. So that's so it is hard yeah. because it had to be for you to, to for you to find it worth playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Road Rage is kind of like, it's one of these weird things where we made it just because we were like, what can we get away with? What's like the smallest, simplest possible thing we could make? Um, and it's just like, yep, you, you have two buttons, left, right. The ship goes on its own, and uh, there's good stuff and bad stuff. These yeah. are the mm-hmm. like these are this is like Flappy Bird level of game mechanics where there's a thing you can do, which is turn, <laughs> one goal, which is to get the good thing, and one obstacle, which is don't hit the bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know it still works. So it was just one of those fun fun experiments, and and uh, I think it it actually is oddly somewhat unique. There aren't really other games that, it, that it, uh, are like it out there for some reason. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, next question comes from Chalosis, who says, a time machine explodes into Seth's backyard. Mm. The hatch opens, and the three of you step out, grizzled, red-eyed, a few more gray hairs, and say, Crashlands 2 will take you five years. What do you do? I asked them what the stock market uh, looks like. Uh, I verified that I'm not going to die for five years, which is – at least I didn't, I guess, in that timeline. I'm not sure how time works yeah. in this con- – The three of us stepped yeah. up. Sam's got – that a, means they a, came a, from Sam's a different got a timeline into our timeline. <laughs> right. Sam's got a new belly for, for uh, all the peanut butter and chocolate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, actually, no, no, it's just Sam's feet are now chocolate. Yeah, because he's 10% chocolate. It fills up from the bottom, you know, bottom up. Uh, Yeah, so I'm 10% chocolate. My feet are melting rapidly because of the global warming situation. Uh, Yeah, which is a big problem for chocolate people. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, Um, actually, I assume we sit (laughs) on the spaceship and we're like, oh, God, it's chilly here. Mm, So cold. So cold. They said said during a record-breaking heat wave. I think we would just be more grizzled and red-eyed from getting older. Is that correct? It seems just – like it almost seems like it has nothing to do with making another game. Just like well, I mean that will happen, but it might be exacerbated by the game potentially. Mm. Yeah. So, so if if they said you know Crashlands Two will take you five years, I would probably say yeah, yep. That's I would would probably say yeah, that tracks. I would probably say (laughs) uh, so that means our financial situation lasted for five years. Yeah. That's great. Without releasing a game, that's pretty good. I would just ask him like, was it worth it? Because if it's worth it, then who gives a shit? It's fine. They may not know. Maybe like on launch day. Maybe what after maybe all that reason, work, then on launch day, suddenly they get sucked into a time hole mm. 
Well, it specifically says a time machine. So it, what the implication here Sucked is that Crashes two, <laughs> 2 took the normal amount of time, you know, a couple of years. And then the other three years were spent building the time machine. To go back. Uh, to go back right. to, to, to troll or did we, us. Or did we buy the time machine? Did we, That's true, did we spend two years making Crashlands and then find a publisher who was like, I want this. And they gave us a fuckload of money. And they were like- Nope, this timeline's fucked. We're gonna take this fuckload of money. Mm-hmm. We're gonna go buy this time machine, go back in time, and then warn our past selves off of Crashlands by trying to scare them about how long it will take, so that they go down a different path where they instead and do. As I say, it sounds pretty ideal something. to end up in a position where there's just you know boatloads of cash and you made the game after a couple of years. So I think I do think the presence of the time machine is really the big question here because if it's the case that we were able to either purchase the time machine outright or purchase a ride on said time machine that presumably Crashlands 2 made an extreme amount of uh, money. So yeah, I also don't know why they would step out and lead with Crashlands 2 will take you five years. It just seems like a weird, you know, if I was coming back in time, I'd be like, holy shit. Look, we have a time machine. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Uh, Hey guys. But this also implies that by this point, time machine travel has become so normalized that we're not even phased by it. You know, mm, maybe we've been back more multiple times at this point. Yeah, and if so this is the just, first thing that we say, we also assume that this wouldn't be surprising to our past selves, which means our past selves have also seen a whole bunch of time machine travel at this point. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so apparently, then in this in this new universe that that has been constructed here, uh, you the people in the current time for some reason can't like go forward, so that you know, right? So otherwise, like this yeah. would be even less interesting, right? But people can come back, and I guess then go back to the future again. You know, I don't know, mm-hmm, maybe, mm-hmm. but but people in the present can't go to the future for some reason. It's against the rules, you know. There's against rules. the rules for some reason. And so so we probably at this point would be just really tired of seeing our future selves coming back and telling us telling random, us stuff. Random no facts. Random, fra- random facts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like is that all? I, how about a how about a you know qualitative assessment of it? Did it do well? Yeah. How are we doing? Tell me the nope, stocks. Just, Give me took, lottery numbers. Yeah, that's well that's one of the rules of, of uh time travel is you you can't express opinions about things, you know? Yeah. Actually, why did all three of us come back? Like, what was our – because we only need one person to go back to just to, well, to send a message, right? But if we sent three people back, that implies we're trying to move back to the past, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, there's we that one that, really we're good – We're doing uh, that alongside our other three selves. Also, good so to be honest, not, I would never come back to 2020. Just going to be – just go through all that. Yeah. <laughs> well, because the implication here is that every subsequent year after 2020 is even worse. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we would come back to 2020 it was a horrifying. bad, a bad side. Bad because if it's we were doing like, side. yeah, if we were trying to do something that made any sense at all, we would go back to about 2010 mm-hmm. with all of the skills that we had developed, right? And we would start making games all over again. But now with all of those skills and knowledge, so that we could be at the front Forefront, of the uh-huh. indie wave instead uh-huh, of uh-huh. on the back ass part of it, which has yeah. been a struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I'm, I mean, I'm pretty confident that most of the folks who did succeed at that time were were time travelers. So they must have been. Be, we would just be joining. Joining the ranks. Yeah, so I would, I would mostly be confused about the implications of of, of this time, of time travel scenario. <laughs> why all yeah. three of us? Why to this point in time? Yeah, because you could have told us this literally at any point in the past, technically. And really, they should have come back to to 2016 or 17, whatever it was, mm-hmm. right before the Bitcoin bubble happened. Actually, no, even better than that. They should have come back yeah. to like 2005 when Bitcoin was invented and was – trading for like a cent or whatever. Yeah, they'd be like, just, say, buy just, buy just buy all of them. Just buy all of them. Just buy fucking all of it. Because in, <laughs> and, then, and then in 
18 or whatever year, whatever that was that happened, it will be worth $20,000 for the briefest for like a day, right? Mm-hmm. Or like a six hour span yeah. or whatever. Sell all of it in that moment. And which is pretty wild that if you spent like 10 bucks on Bitcoin in 2009, yeah. then you'd, you'd like, you'd you're just like a, a millionaire. A now. There, there's, <laughs> there's a story of a guy who like, who bought, who bought like, I don't know, like a hundred bucks worth in like 2005, like when it first came out basically, right? Yeah. When it was worth nothing. And then it's headed on a hard drive, right? And then he couldn't figure out, he like couldn't get back into it. Because yeah. He like lost the drive or like it was encrypted or something happened. He couldn't get oh, back into it. He knew that he had like $15 million. Yeah. He just oh, had like God. infinite money just living yeah. on this drive and he couldn't get it. And I was like, that's, that's <laughs> even worse than missing the window, you know? Just oh, like, yeah. That's cruel. Being that's, that close. That's, and That is brutal. Yeah. And then, of course, the thing, I mean, it's still, there's still worth several thousand dollars now. So, yeah, he's still in good shape, presumably, if he got if it. If he ever but, gets it uh, off of there, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. The implication of the implication of a time traveler coming back to 2020 is a really bad sign. Yep, already yeah. very suspicious about about what's going, what's good, what's coming down the. So down I think yeah, road. I think the only appropriate response for us would be to say, well, well, fuck, well, fuck. <laughs> let's go, let's go start a new business where we create bunkers. I don't we know. need to find out more information about just what hellhole we have yep. entered in because that's what we need. To there's get so ahead. many, there's so many bad things happening at once. The question is, which which one which of the one is, things is the thing that makes it so much worse over the next five years? Or is it just all of them, you know, kind is of in all concert? Them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Butterscotch Atheist, who says, food stories. What are your favorite meals to cook? What was the most ambitious culinary project you've put your mind to? Favorite foods? Least favorite foods? Mm-hmm. I like all foods. But the the I used to like food that was basically fairly uh, non- Flavored, I guess, because we grew up, you know, mid Midwestern style cooking, which is more. It's mostly Salt about fat. fat. That's, that's bland. It's about fat and sweet. That's its two kinds of parts of the flavor profile. And meat, but the meat also just has. You just put more fat on the meat. Than put the butter meat on it. Has. You just put butter. You know, whatever. So, yeah. so I grew up with that, and then was introduced to more, uh, more elaborate um, taste profiles in in college, in particular, and then and then after that with my wife and. Uh, and so now, like I just anything I can try, I'm going to try that thing. The more the more things it lights up inside of my inside of my face, the the more into it I am. And so at this point, my favorite foods are mostly mostly uh, Chinese and specifically Sichuan things because they have a lot going on. But then also Indian because it's got it's got so much going on. And now I just can't I can't make things without just putting like ten different spices on it. You know, because I, I just want like I need tons and tons of flavor. Um, that would be interesting. So yeah. So for me, it's like I'll just eat whatever and be about happy your, about it. But the more it's got going on, what about your culinary uh, endeavors? What's your or I mean, you could. I think you guys have also made ridiculous cocktails and stuff too. But like, what's your most sort of intensive uh, thing that you've made? You've had in terms of intensive. The most intensive food item I've ever made was a thousand years ago when I made a companion cube cake. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Which was in two thousand eight. Wait, do you remember that turducken you made for my eighteenth birthday? Oh yeah, the turducken. That was probably like in terms of a real food item. That was probably oh, the shit. most. I, yeah, I, I spent like a fucking. I spent like four hours deboning the three different birds required to make a turducken, and then brined them overnight. It was in the winter, so I just like made a brine and put them out just like in a snowbank in the pot, you know, so they could just sit there because we couldn't fit it in the freezer or the fridge. I mean, and then uh, cooked the next day. Some good was shit. Good. That was real good. That was good. <laughs> it was, it was good. It was uh, good. But that, yeah, that, yeah, I think that's probably, that's fair. That's probably my most intensive project that I have done. I mostly, I, I just don't cook really. I just, it's not a thing that I enjoy. Um, 
And I don't, I don't know why, because it's a, it's a kind of thing that it seems like on paper I'd be into, because it's like it's like doing science experiments, and mm-hmm. then you get to eat something delicious when you're done, or or terrible depending on how the experiment goes. I think um, it's a problem of marginal returns, right? Because like you can spend twenty minutes cooking something and make it super super tasty, yeah, and, and great. Or you can spend three hours cooking something and having it be a bit more tasty than that. But yeah, not, yeah, there, there are some <laughs> things that take three hours that are then like infinitely better. But most things that take ten times longer to make are just like the same or a little bit better or whatever, right? Yeah. Then something you could make in you know in ten or fifteen minutes. So I think that's that's fair. The, the, the only culinary thing that just like in my daily practice or like frequent practice that I really care about is actually popcorn. Ah, uh, yes. Is, I, have, I have this yeah, never-ending goal of like, trying to make the best fucking popcorn possible. So the tricks for those, for making the best popcorn, is and, – and Sam and Sam and his wife have their own mm-hmm. approach also. So we haven't had a popcorn off yet, and we won't be able to until the end of COVID, but like, I'm, I'm getting those skills up. Good, because you're going to oh, get fuck. crushed, buddy. Yeah. So, I'll so, be the judge. So my strategy is you need two to three fats for your oil. They got to be They got to be really good, interesting ones, so – uh, and also coconut oil is the base because that's also what movie popcorn uses, like movie popcorn butter, you know? Oh. Uh, and so like, that's your base is that stuff. And then, and then I use ghee as my second fat because ghee is like kind of cheesy, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a clarified butter, right? But it's like a little cheesy. So there's like just like a little bit more interesting stuff going on. And then my third one is just like something interesting I'll throw in. So, so what I've been doing is I've, I've discovered that, that recently you can now find like specific animal fats in lots of grocery stores where it's just like, here's duck fat and here's, here's beef fat and here's whatever. Right. And so like, I'll just go pick one and then use that one until it runs out. So currently I'm on beef fat, which is not the best one. Duck was fucking stellar. So that's what I'll probably go back to. And so then you use a lot of it. So there should be a nice, like a nice (laughs) little layer of fat in the bottom of your, of your pan. Mm -hmm. Right. That's like, it should be just about as tall as a popcorn kernel, but then all the way across. Mm, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then, so that's that's like that's for your cooking part. There's there's a whole strategy for how you cook it and get all the kernels and that kind of stuff. But we'll skip that. And then when you flavor it afterwards, then so you, so you get it, you get it dumped out immediately, and you leave the you leave the lid on at a tilt so that all the the moisture is shooting out and escaping, so it's nice and crunchy, right? Get it out, dump it, in your, dump it in your in your your bowls, and then take nutritional yeast, which is also cheesy and like God, it's got it's got a, it's got a kind of umami cheesy thing going on. Uh, the first time we did it, where I was like, I don't know about this, and then. And then, like, it grew on me instantly, like, within, like, five Bite minutes of going through that mm-hmm. first bowl. And now I couldn't – can't do popcorn without it. Liberal. Just fucking hose it down. <laughs> uh, and then, and then of course, like, you know, a nice splash of salt. And then just, like, go for wild flavor profiles. So so I found that if you if you take a chili powder and you throw it in in the pot, like, after all the, after all the seeds are in there and it's, and, it's, and it's hot but not – hasn't started popping it, if you put that in on top, then you don't get the inhalation toxicity like while you're eating it where it's just mm. like killing you, right? But you still get the spicy tingle and then the taste is even a little bit better because it's cooked a little bit more, you know? And so – and then after that, you just like top whatever else, whatever flavors you want. You just like fucking – your popcorn when you're done should be like – look like a Christmas tree. It has right? ascended. There's so much stuff going on. So yeah, my okay, method is a little bit Hold on. Huh. Okay. So we talked about starting up this alternative uh, B-Scotch dev you know, website. Yeah, I uh, can. We also get a a YouTube channel where just Adam experiments with popcorn, and <laughs> just like uh, popcorn, and, man, popcorn and cocktails. At first, when you're at first, when you were like, well, you know, I'm really, I'm really into popcorn, and I was like, what? <laughs> How can you be into <laughs> you, popcorn? You throw it, you throw it in the pot, and you pop it. No, man, you you gotta you know? 
you got to try. But it's like, it's like having yeah. a, having a cocktail and the most delicious popcorn in the universe, like to end most of your days, is just it's just prime. So it's just so good. Yeah, brown. I used to go with a lot of browned butter as part of my strategy for making it, but it's so hard to get that right without it getting burnt and stuff. That that because I just I just go with my other oils. Yeah, my method is considerably more relaxed. You just put some olive oil in there, throw some kernels in there, and then once it's done popping, you just dump a bunch of seasoning into the pot, shake it up, and then you're done. But the mm-hmm. seasoning is kernel seasonings, white cheddar stuff, which is delicious. Yeah, I'm using, I'm using mostly Penzi's fancy Penzi spice. Like, I'm, I'm just like, everything is, if I could take it to a maximum. I was going to say, this is like the most treatment. maximum popcorn I've ever heard of. Oh, yeah, it's so good. It's <laughs> so good. Like, every, every night we have it, Jenny's like, and, and Jenny, so my, my wife can like, she can cook any like cook anything and do it a stellar job. But even the first time on almost everything she's made, like it already came out better mm-hmm. than the things that I had at restaurants of that same type, you know. Uh, and she like loves cooking. She's just really into it. She's like a million uh, cookbooks, knows everything. And uh, and this is the one thing, the one thing that every time I make it, she's like, <laughs> God, this is so good. And where she won't even make it anymore because she's like, Because why bother? Yeah, why bother? Like yeah. you're gonna in the same way that like there's nothing that I'll make. That Jenny oh, they're, could they're, also they're. make. <laughs> so like, so this is so my specialization. I'm in like because it is my one thing, right? So I'm like specializing fucking hard into, into popcorn. Into popcorn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so good. It's excellent. And that's good. That's good because it's a versatile food. You know, yeah. It's good for movie nights. Good yep. for chilling. Good for snacking. You can make it you sweet. Know? You can make it savory. And I used to really like sweet, the sweet version, but there's just there's less room to play with sweet versus savory. You can just like you can yep. put everything you can imagine in the same thing, and it just keeps getting better every time. Yeah. All right, so we have time. We have a, a bit of time for one final, fairly quick question uh, from Irish Luck, who says, "Is it better to work outside your comfort zone with a high risk of failure, a higher chance of learning, or work inside your comfort zone with a lower chance of failure but less learning?" Depends on what you're needing to do. That's what yeah, I would yeah say. It's, this is really all about because I, I would say it's always better to learn as much as you can. But uh, this was we were having the conversation about uh, woodworking earlier mm-hmm. this week, and about how like if you're if you're programming, you can experiment a lot because if you mess something up, you just get a little line in your debug log, and it's like, hey, you fucked up line seventeen. You're like, oh, and you just go fix it. The end. Mm-hmm. If you are trying to learn how to like build a cabinet, and you've never worked with wood before, get ready to go through. Tons and tons of boards and planks and screws and, and whatever very else. Expensive. Your very expensive. costs are expensive. Like your resources are expensive. When you fuck it up, it's expensive. And it's not just expensive in resource costs, but also time. If it takes you, because if it takes you like, you know, an hour to perfectly measure and then cut a thing, and then it turns out you were off by something, or then you like, <laughs> yeah. did it, you painted it and you're all ready to go, and then you went to mount it and realized you put the fucking hinge in the wrong spot or something. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like now you just take all that work and you go back and you redo all of it. Yeah. And so if here's the thing: if you are trying to sell your house and you're like, "Fuck, I need cabinets because I don't, I don't have any for some reason. Uh, I got to get these cabinets put up." Now's not the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to get that house sold. You're on a deadline. You've got goals. Um, but if you if you are fine with your existing cabinets and you're like, I just want to see if I can make better ones. And uh, it's just something that's going to take me some time. And it's OK that it's going to take some time because I'm not going to, you know, lose anything horrible if I mess these cabinets up. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, then, yeah, you know, you can take the time. So it's really just about it's 
it's about risk, I think, in the in the sense of what is actually the cost. Like, what do you actually have to lose by taking the time to to learn this? Yeah, because because right? staying inside your comfort zone doesn't come without risk or additional Correct. cost. Because the the risk there is the is the the lost opportunity to have learned a better way of doing things. Like so, so last week, uh, Sher and I spent the whole week rebuilding our tools for in preparation for GMS for GameMaker two point three. So we're rebuilding our tools, and when we set in to do it, I was like, I want to do this well because for the next five years, the whole time we're doing Crashlands, right? So, which we assume presumably is five years we've learned from our future according self. to our future self. Yeah. Uh, so, so for the next five years, we're gonna be we're gonna be using this tooling and adding more and more features to it to make it as easy as possible for us to develop this game. So, the worse of a job I do now at the root of this thing, the worse and worse and worse every single subsequent thing gets. But the question is, how do I do a good job, right? Because a good job doesn't mean just like pay more attention and do things you already know how to do, but just like actually do them this time, right? If this is that, is that what doing a good job means, right? Or does it mean learn more about what it means to do a good job to discover things that you aren't already doing mm-hmm. that make the things significantly better, even if that time investment is high. So, because if we were to imagine me, me like putting that tool last week together, the way that are uh, you using my current knowledge at the time, um, even if I was still focusing on quality, it would have taken like a couple of days. Uh, instead, it took a whole week, maybe even plus another day, actually, on a prior week, uh, because now probably a third of my time was just spent learning stuff, stuff that I kind of had knew, kind of knew about, but that I didn't actually know, and that I couldn't therefore use. And now, after having done all of this, I now have this whole new suite of of tools at my disposal for being able to solve problems in in ways that are just a lot more effective than what I was able to do previously. And so now that it took that took that four days or whatever of extra work, and I get to now. I get to now decrease my work and make all my stuff better for the rest of time. Yeah, I think you generally want to be actually sort of between these two states. Ideally. Yeah, you want to ride like, the edge. Because the thing is, like, I think if, if you're – say you're working on something that you've been doing – maybe you've been doing this thing for years, right? Uh, the reality is, especially if it's, if it's a remotely complex thing at all, uh, then it should be the case that there's, there's aspects of it that you still haven't really explored. So whether that's like, oh yeah, I okay, did, there are, if you don't know that there are, then you're just wrong yeah, about that. Yeah. And so there's, there's always more to kind of, uh, learn. And so I, I think you could be, you could be in your comfort zone, uh, sort of operating to get, you know, get the bulk of something done. But I think if you're not constantly learning, um, then, then you're, you're missing out on just like how fun, cause that's actually what makes it all fun to be honest. Cause like just doing the work becomes rote after a bit. Yeah, um, it's boring. Yeah. And so I think, uh, always pushing to say like, okay, well, how, how can I, you know, add some uh, macros or like, is there, is there a way that someone's figured out how to do this even faster or with higher quality? But I do think it's yeah, really where you should be is in the space where you have your, in your outside your comfort zone where the risk is low. Yes. Cause the two scenarios we were given where it was a false dichotomy, right? Mm-hmm. Because the, the reality is if you go to that space where you're uncomfortable, the likelihood is that actually that your risk of doing that is low. So the risk of failure in the sense of like you having some trouble, if that's what failure means is of course, basically hundred percent, right? But the risk of like failure in a meaningful sense, meaning like now you're just fucked for some reason, I think is actually very, very low. Yeah. This, we've talked about this before, but being able to differentiate between risk and danger is really important because people yeah. put, them, put them together all the time. Uh, so as long as you're in a, in a category where, where things are risky, which just means, again, there's a chance you could fail, but does it matter? I mean, what does is failure it dangerous? mean? Vaguely. Is it dangerous for you to fail or is it Correct. just another thing? It's just another lesson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just got to identify those things and then uh, you're good to go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. 
We would like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.